right. Good morning, everybody. How are we? We look good, just so you know. So your confession lines up with your glorious appearance. Um, hey, a little bit of trivia. Morgan mentioned trivia at the, uh, at the beginning of the, the service, a trivia night that we're going to have. So I'll give you a little piece of trivia about the last hymn that we just sung. Um, there's a line in there that says, uh, God, you're my father and I'm thy true son, right? Sometimes in our modern age, people look at that and say, hey, that's, that's, I don't really like that. You know, it should say, I, thy true son and daughter. And there are times in scripture when you'll run into the word you or you'll run into sons, and it, it actually could be, you know, translated to reflect men and women, sons and daughters. This is actually one place where you want to hold the son because in this context, it conveys that every single one of us, whether we're male and female, we, we stand in the place of like that biblical eldest son in Scripture, receiving every inheritance right and every blessing of God. So it's, it's kind of fun linguistically. There's actually a reason sometimes where you run into very deliberate language that never changes. So there you go. There's today's trivia, right? That and if you ever wondered, wondered who the top pop is around here, it's me, okay? So, all right, having said that, um, let, me, uh, let me just catch us up here. We've spent the last five weeks, um, Morgan and I have been sharing with you about the nature of God. And what we started off with are the incommunicable traits of God, okay? Now, incommunicable, again, these are all the ways that God is wonderfully different from us, okay? Specifically, um, we looked at uh, the fact that God is infinite. That means that God is completely independent and self-existent. Another way to say it is God is dependent on no one and nothing else for his existence and his life. That's, that's a little different from us, right? I mean, we're dependent on many, many things, many people. Um, God is also immutable, which means God never changes. So anything you ever read in here about God way back then is absolutely true of God today. He, he is always the same. Um, then we looked at God's omnipotence, which means that God is the Lord over all. That means everything, right? He is the Lord of all, and he rules everything with all might and all power. Okay, week number four, we talked about God's omnipresence. Actually, Morgan did in a brilliant sermon. I've heard more comments on Morgan's one sermon than all my four put together, but it was a brilliant sermon, right? And, and I loved it when he, he just took time to linger in the fact that all of God is always present everywhere. And then finally, from last week, God's omniscience, that God has always had and always will have all wisdom, power, and knowledge. Those are a few ways that God is absolutely different from you and I, um, who we are, what we can do. But I use the word wonderfully different in the beginning because we benefit from all of that. You know, I mean, when, when you wonder, can, can I trust this God? Well, I think based on just these five incommunicable attributes, I, I think God is already absolutely worthy of our trust, our confidence. I mean, we can know that you can turn to a God like this and pray, 
and you, you can build your life on him. So today, um, having established the incommunicable, today we're going to turn into the communicable attributes of God, all right? Now, these are ways, um, these are all traits and characteristics that God actually shares with us. Um, these, are, these are all traits that God has wired into us, and as we go into them, you'll go, oh yeah, I see that. There is that part of me. But these are also traits and attributes that God invites us to grow up into as Christians. And as we follow God in this life, as we obey the word, as we live a life of worship, these things that we talk about right here, that they become more and more true about us over time. Uh, although the first one today is probably going to surprise you because we're going to talk about the eternal nature of God, okay? So the eternity of God. Let me pray for us and then let us dive in, okay? Father God, you are wondrous to behold and my prayer all week, I'll probably pray it at the end, is that for every single one of us as your children, that you would deliver us from a life of performance and production and deliver us into that promised land of just wonder and worship. Father, we, we really want to live in the light of these attributes and just not be people who are showing up for something that makes us feel a little better about ourselves every week, but, but each week as we come here, we would encounter you. God, you would change our hearts, that your word would just renew our minds, that your spirit would do a beautiful healing, um, enlightening work in our hearts. And, and God, we would just find ourselves more and more like Jesus, which we know is a miracle. We know it's your work in us, but we invite that work today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, before we jump into the eternal nature of God, um, I, wanna, I wanna tell you a little story. Um, this is probably just unique to me, and it is a story about my children. Um, my children, uh, I have six of them. Um, now they're from ages 30 to 15. Um, but, but my children uh, have always been masters, experts, professionals at making gigantic messes. Um, I, I, and I just mean like, wow, messes. Um, they, they really are. When they were little, it was astounding how quickly they could, they could get the contents of their drawers, their closets, their shelves, and their toy boxes all over the floor. I mean, they did this all the time. And, and here's the thing, though. I was always the one who got in trouble for it every single time. And what would happen is I would walk into their room and every time I'd flip out, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. How did you kids do this? How can people so small make such a gigantic mess? And then Jane, okay, wise, sensible, even-tempered Jane, Jane would pull me aside and she would say, honey, they are children, okay? Get over it and get in there and help them clean it up. And, and because, okay, just so you know, because I am such a great father, because I'm such a wonderful husband, I would go in there and I would help my kids clean their room. And the truth is, I would do about 98% of the cleanup every time. But, but and, and see, y'all are laughing, but it's not funny because then they would run to Jane and go, Mom, come look at our room that we cleaned up. And Jane, she had the audacity to applaud them to love them, to cheer them, and she would even reward them. 
And I know what you're all sitting here thinking. You're thinking, how could anybody treat somebody like that in a family? I mean, how could everyone miss the incredible, just the, the, the beauty of my contribution, how wonderful I was? No, what you're thinking is, what in the world does that have to do with the eternity of God? And believe it or not, that story has everything to do with the eternal nature of God. Um, we'll get to that in a minute, but first, I want you to just hear the Word of God when it comes to His eternal nature, okay? A few verses here. Um, Psalm 90, 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, there it is, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Isaiah 57.15. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. And then in the very beginning, right? Genesis 21.33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And since we use the beginning, let's go to the end. Revelation 1.8, God speaking. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. And so I hope you, you kind of feel what happens there. You know, we have those incommunicable attributes of God but when you add eternal to them, it takes on a whole new meaning for us. You know, not only is God all-present, all-wise, all-powerful, and unchanging, He is always these things, forever and always every one of these things. And I can see it on some of your faces. There's this kind of inner wow that's happening, and that's really good. You should be feeling that way. Because God's eternity is a mind-boggling concept. I mean, you know, it, it's so easy to say it, but when you really stop to think about it, you know, it, it, it kind of blows your circuits, doesn't it? You know, I mean, to think that God has no beginning and no end. That's a wild thought. You know, everything in our world has a birth date, right? Or a production date. Everything has an expiration date. But not the Lord. Not the Lord. Even as we mark time, it just absolutely doesn't apply to God. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Time, which is, you know, the great American obsession, right? I have an African pastor, um, a friend, and, and he, uh, he'll come over to the States every now and then. And every time he comes, he says, man, I'm telling you, you Americans crack me up. You are so obsessed with time. And I want to get offended with him, but it's true. We are so driven by what day it is, where we have to be, you know, where these little hands are moving. That has absolutely no relevance to our God, unless he's referring for, for our sake. I love what A.W. Tozer says. This is another one of those statements that I'm still trying to wrap my, my mind around. But he says, God has already lived all of our tomorrows just like he's already lived all of our yesterdays. 
Again, I can hear them. You know, those little, those little circuit breakers. They're just popping all over the room. It's incredible what this means for us. God's eternity, though, also, this is important, it is also the great assumption of Scripture. Every verse you and I read, it is, eternity is assumed in every one of those passages. God's eternal nature is the foundation and the bedrock of every single promise and every single command God makes to us. And so, here's the point. Whatever the eternal God says to us, it is eternally relevant in Scripture. Think about that, you know, in an age where people say, well, you know, uh, I mean, th- this passage here, it's, it's not really relevant today. We've grown past that. Society has changed and moved. No, absolutely not. I mean, this is why we don't ever want to add to the Word of God. We don't want to take away from the Word of God, and we don't want to tinker with the Word of God. Why? Because the eternal God spoke that Word over all of eternity. So that's, that's where some of that reverence for the Word of God, that holding on to the Word as is, comes from. And then, then finally, God's eternity is also a great reason for you and I to celebrate. This is a cause for great celebration because what it means is God will always be there to make good on every promise He ever made. Any invitation God gives anybody in Scripture for life, peace, joy, that's your invitation. It wasn't just Moses's, you know, know me, I am that I am. That's our invitation. So there's a lot about the eternity of God that, you know, really ought to put a little, little spring in our step, you know, or I don't know, bring a dance move or come on, join me, let's go, you know. But I mean, it really is great. But see where, where the eternity of God gets just glorious for us, where if you're not excited before, where we ought to get excited is when we stop to consider the greatest thing that God ever did as the eternal God. You probably know what I'm going to say if you know me at all, but I'll kind of back into it, okay? I'll ease into it. Um, the, the poem is kind of right on the, on the cusp of the, the 20th century. So he was 18th century, latter 18th century, early, uh, uh, well, I should say 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, W.B. Yeats, okay, Irish poet, he wrote an incredible poem. Um, I'm going to warn you in advance, this is not a politically correct title, Um, but if you want to look it up, I'll give you the title. He wrote a poem called Crazy Jane Talks to the Bishop, okay? So yeah, that wouldn't work today. But he has this line that talks about the eternity of God and, and, and just the glory of this next thing that's coming. And he says this, But love has pitched his mountain in the place of excrement. For nothing can be whole or soul that has not been rent. And what Yeats is, what he's referring to is this. The eternal God who lives in perfect splendor, um, a heaven, a place without sin. If you think of, the, of Revelation 21, there's no more weeping, no more crying, no more you know, tears, pain. Heaven is the perfect home of God, all right? Our eternal God left that place, and he descended into our world of darkness, sin, death, destruction, and we can keep on going with those kind of adjectives. Think about that. 
our God left that place and he descended into our world. And I call it our world today um, because we are the ones who chose it. We're the ones who chose death. Uh, We chose sin. We deliberately invited that into this world and into our lives. And the point is this. When we look around in our world and we go, oh, man, what a mess. We have to understand who made the mess. That mess is on us. It's not on God. And that's why, and listen, I understand the emotion. Man, sometimes we go through stuff and we feel it. But, But biblically, with biblical logic, it just makes no sense when people get upset and they blame God for the darkness down here. You know, we look up to heaven and we say, oh, you know, if, if, if God cares about humanity, if God cares about people, then what is all this darkness? What is all this death? If God loves us, how can he let sin ravage this planet, ravage me, ravage uh, the lives of people that I love? How can a good God send people to hell? That logic doesn't work because according to the word of God, Romans 5.12, we find there Paul speaking very plainly to us. And Paul says, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And in this way, death came to all people. And just so we're clear, because all people in turn then sinned. And so what's really good to remember, just look, if we're going to be biblical and and, and Christian about this, sin, darkness, hell, death, they are all on humanity and not on God. Do you know evil and sin was never God's intention for us? That was never God's gift to us. When you look at the biblical storyline, the historical storyline from Genesis 1, In the beginning, God created us, and God gave us life. And God was in relationship with us in that place. And yet, even after what happened, happened that I just mentioned a minute ago, even after we opened the door to sin through rebellion and disobedience, okay? I mean, and at that point of the story, what could God do? What should God do? Just go ahead and put on the smite boots, you know, wipe everybody out. Walk away, God. I mean, you have every right after what we did in light of what you started, what you initiated with us. But even after that, it was the eternal God who came down as Jesus Christ to save us. Jesus Christ stepped out of eternity into our time to clean up our messy room. That's what happened spiritually. And by the way, Jesus did far more than any of us ever did to tidy up the mess down here. You know, when when we helped our children, Jesus did so much more than that. Why? What did he do? He took on the penalty of our sin. He took on the death, the, 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 the darkness, the execution that we deserved, and he died in our place. That's what the eternal God did. And just in case you're wondering why, you know, well, why why did Jesus do that? You know, is he trying to save God's reputation? Is, you know, is Jesus just a neatnik? You know, he's tired of seeing all the stuff everywhere, like Steve was with his kids. No, John 3, 16 and 17 tells us why God did this. Why did Christ do this? For God so loved the world. 
And again, we don't want to misunderstand that to mean that he's really into geology. Jesus is really into topography. No, the world means us. It means you, it means me, it means, you know, those of us who morally kind of had it together before we met Jesus, and those of us who committed crimes and, you know, were punished for those crimes. It doesn't matter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, shall not die, but what? Have eternal life. Do you see what's happening here? We, we are brought into eternity. Eternity becomes a very real part of us, eternally living. God communicates this attribute to us through Jesus Christ so we will not die but live. And just so we're even clear, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world might be saved through him. That is the heart of the eternal God for you. And you go ahead and make that you, make that individual. Apply that you to your worst day, your biggest mess, the most horrific thing you've ever done. That's the heart of the eternal God for you. Whew, man, wow. And by the way, all that is why I should never have gotten upset with my kids for that messy room, right? I mean, oh, I can't believe you made a mess. Oh, I can't believe I have to clean it up. Do you hear the problem here? What hypocrisy in light of what the eternal God did for me and did for you? Oh, if anything, I, I got to identify with Christ in that moment with my kids. So Harrison, thanks, for, and Noah and Maddie up here, thanks for being slobs. Your dad appreciates it. it it's good for my soul. But it, it's just incredible to think that the God who is love, he, he left his mansion and he came and pitched it right here in this place of excrement. And when you stop to think about the end of that poem, he came down here, he pitched his mansion of love here, and he was rent instead of us. He was torn that we might be whole, set free, and clean, even though we were the ones who spiritually trashed this place. That's what the eternal God did for you and I. Folks, I'm telling you, you talk about good news. Is there any better news than that? what the eternal God has done for us. Man, the eternal love and the eternal sacrifice of the eternal God for you and me. And see, here's the thing, though. While that is wonderful, it doesn't mean very much to us unless it's real to us. It's, it, it doesn't mean much unless it's actually a revelation, a living reality. And that, that happens too often in the Christian concept, in the Christian life, that, you know, we get saved and we have this moment and it's like, this is wonderful, I'm new, I'm free, I'm alive, right? We have that moment when we get saved and we move on into the faith and we kind of forget. You know, we're like the Israelites. Dan referred to the Israelites. We, we kind of get like that. It becomes dull. Church becomes just an, another thing we do. Christianity, just, just kind of a good institution that we're a part of. Folks, my prayer for every one of us, I've been praying it all morning, I prayed it all last week, is that we would have a fresh revelation of the love of God for you and I, that, that man, if we're not seeing it right now, we would so see the beauty of the cross, and just, oh, that we'd experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I prayed it earlier, but my prayer this week has been, Lord, deliver us from performance and from production to wonder and worship. 
Let me pray for us. Father, we are walking, uh, we are taking a journey together as your people. We are journeying through this life. And Father, we want so much to have eyes to see you and ears to hear you and a heart that beats for you. I just think about that, that invitation in Revelation that says, return to your first love. And God, the truth is, as human beings, we even need your help to get back to that place. So Holy Spirit, I, I do pray that you would stir our affections. I pray that you would draw us close. And, and, and our attempts are feeble. They're so limited. But Lord, as we seek to draw near to you, God, just catch us in your embrace and just pull us to your chest. Lord, you say in John 17 that this is eternal life, that we might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, your son. And so, Lord, we, we don't want to know just about you. We don't want random facts. We, we, we don't want to be able to recite every precept alone. Father, we want to know you in Jesus' name. And I thank you that in knowing you, we live. So Holy Spirit, just minister to us. Again, draw us close. You are so good. Father, I bless your name. Thank you for being the eternal one who stepped down and rescued in Jesus' name. Amen.